What's the name of your podcast? Psychosis. Like, psychosis, because we're sisters. Welcome back to Psychosis. This is Mary and Kimberly. This week I am doing a case out of Napa, California, the Halloween murders in 2004. So happy Halloween. This week, Mary decided to bring you a Halloween case. This actually happened on Halloween, right? Yes. Okay. So you guys are going to be listening to this case the week of Halloween. So please make sure everybody stays safe this holiday and Mary take it away with this Halloween case so this case obviously comes out of Napa California which is sort of close to being one of our hometown cases it's only about an hour and 20 minutes from where we grew up have you been to Napa Kim I've been there once (laughs) once for wine tasting okay that's on brand so for those of you that aren't too familiar with Napa Um, It's not a place that I would ever associate with crime, let alone murder. Um, It's wine country, more rural, more of an upscale area, I would say. Uh, People have vineyards, wineries, and a lot of retirees. Um, And it's just a more quiet area when you would compare it to a place like San Francisco. At the time of this case, Napa actually hadn't experienced a murder like this in over two years. So to give you an idea of what the crime is like there, it was pretty minimal then. And I would assume it's pretty minimal now. This case involves 26-year-old Adrian and Sonia, 26-year-old Leslie Mazzara, and 27-year-old Lauren Menza. Adrian was originally from Calistoga, which is about 40 minutes from Napa. She had graduated from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and was working as an assistant engineer. Lauren was originally from the Napa area and a volleyball coach at a local college. Leslie was from South Carolina, but lived in Georgia for a bit before relocating to Napa, and she worked at the Coppola Estate Winery. So Lauren and Adrian had originally moved into the house together on Dorset Street. They had known each other through volleyball. And they were looking for a third roommate when they had met Leslie, who seemed to be the perfect fit. A quick little blurb about uh, Adrian: She actually had cheat death once. At 16, she survived a near-fatal car crash. And honestly, it's a miracle she had survived. Oh, my gosh. This is going to be like some final destination. uh, That's exactly what I thought. (laughs) That's horrible. Um, On the 10-year anniversary of what she called the day she should have died. Her and her best friend, Lily, celebrated her life by having a day to themselves and just hanging out and enjoying the day. But we'll revisit Lily later. Um, This case began on Halloween, October 31st, 2004. The girls were all at the house together and decided to just hand out candy. I will note that 
Adrian did leave for a little bit to visit her boyfriend, Christian, but was home by 1030. By 11, 1130, the girls were done handing out candy and had gone to their rooms for the night. To give a quick little layout, Adrian and Leslie's rooms were on the top floor of the house and Lauren's was downstairs. Just after 1 a.m. on November 1st, Lauren woke up when she heard a glass break and rustling around coming from one of her roommate's rooms. But she was groggy and thought perhaps one of the girls brought a guy over and she didn't really think much of it until a few moments later when she heard what she describes as a blood curdling, terrified scream. She decided to go see what was wrong. But as she crept out of her room, she heard heavy footsteps coming down the stairs and in a panic decided to run out the back door and hid in the backyard. I don't blame her. That has to be terrifying. She thought she was actually leading the killer directly to her, though, by going out the back door. But she heard the killer leave through the window that he originally came through. Um, After she felt she was safe, she gained the courage to go back and enter the room. And she had heard crying coming from the room Adrian was in. And when she arrived up the stairs, it was nothing like anybody could be prepared for. Leslie was face down in a pool of blood. And Adrian was crouched behind the bed, bleeding heavily, but she was still alive at that time. Lauren tried to call 911, but the phone lines were dead. I believe the killer cut the lines. Um, Everything I see about the phones just say that the phone lines were dead. So I think... That is a literal nightmare. Right. It, It sounds like something out of a Halloween horror movie. Yeah. She was able to grab her cell phone and called 911 from her car, which people criticized why she would lock herself in her car and not stay with her friend who was still alive at the time. But to be honest, she couldn't have saved them. And who knows if the killer would have returned. And Adrian's mother actually had since stated that Lauren was very courageous under the circumstances. And to be honest, none of us would really know what to do in that moment. Exactly. I feel like we're always judging people on their reactions. And it's like, unless you're in that situation, you never know how you're going to react. Exactly. Um, Although the paramedics arrived quickly, Leslie was pronounced dead at the scene and Adrian died shortly after they arrived. They had both been stabbed multiple times. Although Lauren heard the attack, she never saw what the perpetrator looked like. But based on the crime scene, investigators were able to determine that most likely Leslie was attacked first and most likely while she slept. She didn't have a chance to defend herself and therefore didn't have any defensive wounds. It's believed Adrian was then attacked. Her injuries were substantially worse and she had defensive wounds and put up a fight. The town was on edge because who would want three seemingly quiet, hardworking girls in a quiet neighborhood dead? Wait, hold on. I have a question. Which roommate was on the separate floor? The one that survived? Yeah. The blood trail led down the stairs and out the window. At the crime scene, investigators found three cigarette butts, two in the front of the house and one in the back. They also found black zip ties underneath the window that the killer came through. It seems as though this was very much premeditated and that whoever the killer was planned to possibly tie up the girls but drop the zip ties. With nothing stolen from the house and neither girl sexually assaulted, this case really stumped investigators. The surviving roommate, Lauren, couldn't think of anyone who would want to harm her roommates. 
Initially, it was thought that the intended target was Leslie as she was killed first. She was also more outgoing and new to the area. Could someone have followed her home from working at the winery or like a new guy she was dating or an ex-boyfriend? There was an ex, Brian, who actually built a tribute website dedicated to her after breaking up. Oh. Um, but that ended up not really leading anywhere. There was also an ex, William, who Leslie had broken up with shortly before moving to Napa. Her boyfriend's dad had actually called her twice the night of Halloween, which is kind of weird, right? His boyfriend's dad? Yeah. yeah I guess... I guess he would call her frequently to see about her getting back together with his son. But ultimately the reason they broke up is because her dad, it sounded like the dad was really given her the ick. <laughs> yeah. Um, why are parents so involved in their children's relationships like that? For one, <laughs> two, please never call your child's significant other and beg them to get back together. Weird. So police start to think that the father and son duo could possibly be suspects, but they were actually found to still be in Georgia at the time. So even though both of those boyfriends seemed a little weird on the outside, I guess it really just didn't lead to anything. Investigators moved on to Adrian's boyfriend, Christian. Um, they had had a rocky relationship and he was actually one of the last people to see her alive other than the girls. He was quickly ruled out when his DNA was not a match for the blood left at the scene. Um, crazy theories started to be made in this case, kind of similar to the Idaho murders. Um, oh, if you yeah. remember, if you remember, it was a lot of like the cartels, or could it be like the parent parental drama being taken out on the kids? So similar to that, rumors of the girls were selling drugs out of the home was, you know, going around. Um, another one was <laughs> if there was a mob hit on them because they all had Italian sounding last names. Oh yeah. Um, I was in Napa wild. <laughs> <laughs> and well, the funny thing is the craziest because Leslie worked at a Coppola winery and Francis Ford Coppola had created the Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> it was a rumor that could he have had her killed? Obviously none of those are true. <laughs> wow. Um, but over the next 11 months, investigators collected 218 DNA samples and conducted 1,300 interviews, and nothing came of it. Wow. Detectives caught a break, though, when they tested blood on the outside of the house that came back as male DNA. So that was the first real lead since everyone in the house is female. At least now they have it narrowed down that it was a man that had killed them. Um, it's believed that when he stabbed the girls, he may have slipped and cut his hand and left trace amounts of blood on the way out. Question. Yeah. Was, so the surviving roommate, was there also conspiracy theories that she was involved just like the Idaho murders? I didn't see anything about her. Oh, that's um, I did listen to the audio of her making the 911 call and she sounds completely frantic. Police then turned to the cigarette butts that were left outside the house. Uh, DNA on two of the three matched the blood at the crime scene, as well as the DNA left on the zip ties. However, although DNA was entered into CODIS, it didn't come back with a match, which 
just means that the killer either never committed a crime or had never gotten caught. Although CODIS didn't have any leads, breakthroughs in DNA technology at that time did help in at least narrowing down a suspect. Dr. Tony Fudakis, a molecular biologist, helped develop technology to narrow down the killer's physical characteristics through DNA. With this technology, he was able to determine that the killer was Northwestern European, male, with most likely blue or green eyes and blonde hair. So even though nobody ever actually saw the person, at least now they kind of have a profile to go off of. Yeah, DNA is wild that they can determine all of that. But it sounds like this was just like right at the forefront of this sort of thing. So it's the timing and everything just kind of lined up luckily. For those of you who are listening and aren't familiar with CODIS, I'm just going to read you really quick what CODIS is. It's an acronym combined DNA index system, which is a computer software program that operates local, state, and national databases of DNA profiles from convicted offenders, unsolved crimes, crime scene evidence, and missing persons. So basically, it's just a DNA system where you upload DNA found at crime scenes and see if you can get a hit on anybody. The cigarettes happened to be a newer kind, and not every store sold them. They were camel Turkish gold. The stores that did carry them said that they sold maybe one to two packs a week. So they were pretty rare. They then released to the media the description of the suspect along with the cigarette brand, hoping that this would generate a lead. Now that investigators had some sort of profile and cigarette brand, they decided to go back and interview Lauren again. They asked her to make a list of everybody that she knows that smokes cigarettes. The only person she could think of was 25-year-old Eric Kopel. A little backstory on Eric. Eric was dating Adrian's best friend, Lily. Lily and Adrian worked together at the Napa Sanitation District and were best friends. Adrian and Lauren had met Lily's boyfriend, Eric, and often hung out with him at the house. I believe he helped one of the girls move in, and they often played games together and hung out. Leslie never met Eric, it looks like. She's the only one of the group. At pretty much the same exact time as investigators were given his name, Eric turned himself in and confessed to the murder. No, wait, wait. So he walked in and turned himself in or they went in? Yeah. Well, they were going to find him regardless um, because it looks like once she said that name and he actually was one of the only people that didn't submit DNA. It wasn't really clear how he kind of skirted around that. It looks like he had just missed an appointment, but a lot of people were just like, oh, it's fine. It's just Eric. Like he kind of just got off on not submitting DNA. Um, But it was, he was going to get caught anyhow. Yeah. And it's amazing that she remembered that out of like all the people she knows. I mean, it's a college, right? They're college age that he smoked cigarettes and that kind of was a red flag to the police. Especially when, like, yeah, they hung out, but it wasn't someone she hung out with all the time. Yeah, so props to her for that. Um, So as to finding a motive, when the killings took place, Eric and Lily had actually called off their wedding, which I believe was to be in Hawaii the same weekend that the girls were killed. Uh, Lily blamed herself initially. If she hadn't called off the wedding, then her friend would still be alive, since Adrian was supposed to be in her wedding. Anyhow, with the calling off of the wedding, Eric blamed Adrian for the breakup. 
she had been warning Lily that maybe Eric wasn't the greatest guy, go figure, and to maybe reconsider marrying him. Which I feel like we've all done that where you complain to your friends about a guy and you just never think that the guy would be so scorned and he would go murder all of your friends. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And obviously her gut feeling about him wasn't wrong. Right. The girls had also just planned a trip to Australia together to visit Adrian's family. And it seemed like he felt Adrian was taking Lily away from him. So on the night of Halloween, Eric and Lily were actually at a Halloween party together, which ended in a fight. He went home drunk and angry and seemingly wanted revenge. Since he blamed Adrian for their split, he went over to her house, sat outside pacing the place, and smoked cigarettes. He said he has no recollection from then on of killing the girls, but he knows that he did it. He used a knife to pry open the window, dropping the zip ties in the process. Again, he killed Leslie first, then Adrian, who was said to have put up a fight. Leslie may have just been an innocent bystander in all of this. Wow. He ran out the same way he came in, running home and burning his clothes in a fire pit in his yard and went to bed. It's believed that he didn't know Lauren was even in the house and therefore she was able to just hide. Well, she got very lucky. Also, he, you might bring this up later, but he didn't remember doing it, but he knows he did it, but he was coherent enough to know to burn his clothes. Right. Right. I don't know how that whole thing makes no sense. Yeah. And they never found the weapon either. He quote unquote doesn't know where the weapon is. Convenient. Okay. The next morning after the news broke of the murders, Eric went over to Lily's house to console her after she heard her friends were murdered. This ultimately brought the couple closer together and they reconciled and were married shortly after the murders. No. Oh, it gets worse. (laughs) The sickest part is Adrian's mother attended the wedding and her Adrian's sister was the guest. Adrian's mother even read a poem at the wedding dedicated to her daughter. That's heartbreaking. So the mother went to the wedding of her daughter's murderer. Like, how sick. He obviously knew he did it and yet let this whole thing carry on. And he probably got so much pleasure out of that. And it's weird to me that Lily had no idea that this happened, which, I mean, you hear about people having completely secret lives, so I get that it happens, but it's just, it's mind-blowing. They say that you literally never know the person sleeping next to you 100%, so that's so scary. When news of the DNA and description broke, Eric decided to kill himself. He wrote two notes to his parents saying he was going to end his life, saying that it wasn't suicide, it was justice, so the courts didn't kill him first. However, his family intervened and convinced him to turn himself in and take a plea deal. Which I'm really proud of them, because if you think about cases like Abby Petito, where it seemed like the parents were enabling. I was just thinking that. So I do give props to his parents for at least doing the right thing and telling him to turn himself in. Yeah, I I agree. So Eric took a plea deal to have the death penalty taken off the table, which, I mean, to be honest, in California is kind of a joke. Um, I had to look it up, but our last execution was 2006, 
which I know is after this case, but that's all to say he was probably never going to be executed anyway. Yeah. Didn't we also pass a law that like death row is just, everyone's just waiting, right? There's no death row anymore. Yeah. There's not really a death row. You're just, you're in for life. Adrian's mom gave an impact statement telling him she would never think about him again after today to honor her daughter. But the kicker, are you ready? No. Lily spoke at the trial, sympathizing with the victim's family. However, this whole speech takes a left. <laughs> this isn't verbatim, but she spoke to Eric, stating that, that he could do nothing to make her love him any less. That the man who committed the crime is not present in the person or mind of her husband, who is an admirable man. That losing the girls was painful, but now losing him was just as bad. Wow. Like, girl, read, read the room. <laughs> wow. Okay. I mean, you're, you were planning on staying with him anyway, so you would have had, like, a million chances in the decades to come to tell him this. I just feel like the trial was not the place to call him an admirable man. Yeah, if, I'm sorry, but if your husband murders your best friends. Right. That's, not okay. that's just, that doesn't even need a, that sentence doesn't even need to be finished. It's just, wow. He spoke as well, but it was sort of just a word salad and I don't buy the apology. We actually have audio of what Eric had to say at his sentencing. So I'm going to go ahead and play that for you right now. I am a broken man. Man splintered by penetrating awareness of my own potential for wickedness. Well, I cannot fathom the full extent of the anguish I have caused. I recognize that my sinful deeds inflicted horrific agony on a great number of people. Words evade me to articulate the depths of my sorrow. So that was the audio from Eric's sentencing. That's what he had to say. And honestly, the entire time he was talking, the only thing I could think of was Rihanna's song, Take a Bow, where she says, don't tell me you're sorry because you're not. You're only sorry because you got <laughs> caught. And that's literally alligator that's, tears. That's what I was thinking. I feel like he's not really remorseful for what he did, but just uh, probably really sad that he's going to be in jail for the rest of his life. Yeah, exactly. That is what I think was going through his head. I don't feel like he probably feels any remorse. I hope I'm wrong, but that's something I guess we will never really know. He pled guilty and is serving a life sentence in Pleasant Valley State Prison in Coalinga, California. Lauren shortly after moved to Los Angeles, but it looks like she has returned back to the Bay Area. And Lily eventually got divorced from Crazy Pants Eric, and she still resides in Napa. Adrian and Sonia's mother, Arlene, remained close to Lily after the murders. She said leaning on Lily got her through losing her daughter and would hate to lose that friendship. Although their relationship was stressed by the confession, she was said to have wanted to keep Lily in her life, which props to you, mom. You're a better woman than I. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Um, Leslie Mazzara's mother, Reverend Kathy Harrington, 
and her two sons built a cottage in Mazara's memory at the Calvary Home for Children in Anderson, South Carolina, to keep Leslie's memory alive. And that's the Halloween murders in Napa. That was really sad and such a senseless case. I feel like none of that had to happen because in the end, he did end up marrying Lily. Yeah, it's kind of a, I don't know, it's a wild ride. (laughs) It it was. um, That is truly a Halloween nightmare. I can't even imagine the survivor's guilt and how scary that must have been for her to experience. Thank you for telling us the Halloween Napa case, Mary. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at psychosis underscore podcast or send us an email at the psychosis podcast at gmail.com if there is a California case you would like us to cover or you can send us a DM and let us know. Thank you. Until next week. Bye.